The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. In virtual worship, our sanctuary empty, we gather together this Sunday in July 2020 to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, to devote the will to the purposes of God. We gather together to worship Almighty God. Our preacher this Lord's Day is the Reverend Dr. Victoria Gaskell, Marsh Chapel Minister of Visitation. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered in the praise of God for our virtual congregation through WBUR 90.9 FM and our listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership, ministry, and service in our midst. And as the spirit moves, and when and as it is again permitted and safe to do so, your presence with us here in worship. As we enter a sacred hour this Lord's Day, we are particularly mindful of and prayerful for both those who are suffering the effects of racism and social difficulties of our time, and for those who are suffering the effects of health and safety concerns of our time. Today's service of worship includes the greeting and sermon new this week, along with music and liturgy rebroadcast from earlier services. Although our nave is empty, the music is full. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
let us pray. O Lord, mercifully receive the prayers of your people who call upon you and grant that they may know and understand what things they ought to do and also may have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A lesson from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 10 through 13. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song, and all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall be to the Lord for a memorial, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
a lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me in reading verses, actually all of Psalm 65 with the antiphon. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. To you shall voice be performed. To you who hear prayer, all flesh shall come because of their sins. When our transgressions prevail over us, you forgive them. Blessed are those whom you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. You shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. By dread deeds you answer us with deliverance, O God of our salvation, who is the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who by your strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at earth's farthest bounds are afraid at your signs. You make the morning and the evening resound with joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide its grain, for you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. The tracks of your chariot drip with fatness. The pastures of the wilderness drip. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. And now, beloved, I invite you to rise as you're able for the singing of the Gloria Patri, the reading of the gospel, and the singing of our hymn.
The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9 and 18 through 23. Glory to you, O Lord. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up, quick, sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. For Mother's Day this year, our older son and our daughter-in-law brought me a charming pot and an hibiscus plant to put in it. The plant was covered in large flowers with crimson throats, then a band of white, and then edges in a beautiful pink with yellow stamens and orange pistils. The leaves were a dark, glossy green, and the bark was a light gray that complemented the rest of the plant, but did not distract from the show of the flowers. I was instantly smitten. Now usually my choices in companion plants have by necessity the constitution of granite. But this was my first hibiscus, and as I think I mentioned, it was given to me by our children. And did I mention that hibiscus is one of their favorite plants? I really did not want to report back an early death or a slow demise brought on by rusts, smuts, molds, blights, or plagues of insects. Growing a flowering tropical plant that I did not know in Boston was going to require some effort. My just being smitten was not going to make either the hibiscus or me happy in the long run. So like many graduates of BU, I decided to rely on research. Turns out that a modern hibiscus is a bit of a diva. Its ancestors came from China or India, Madagascar and the Mascarene Islands off the coasts of Africa, Fiji and Hawaii, all places with abundant sunshine, lots of humidity, and high temperatures. I, however, live in a Boston neighborhood with high buildings and tall trees that block much of the sun, with dry air and chilly temperatures for a good part of the year. Hibiscus is also referred to as a voracious feeder that requires frequent watering and even washing. 
It has specific nutrient requirements, not just for the soil, but also for the fertilizer in the frequent waterings. The required soil and fertilizer is not, of course, easily or cheaply obtained. <clears throat> Fortunately, there are people online who have been living beautifully with hibiscus for years. They are very generous with care information and problem solving. For a modest price and outrageous shipping charges, they will send you hibiscus soil that feels lovely in your hands, as well as an attractive soluble fertilizer tinted aqua so no one can mistake it for salt. I am still smitten. And so far, the hibiscus plant in its pot is glossy-leaved, putting out flowers, and voraciously eating and drinking while I carted around our small yard to find the place with the most consistent sun. Grow lights may be in our future, say around late September. With all this, you might imagine my bemusement as I contemplated the parable in our gospel text this morning. A sower goes out to sow. This sower doesn't care where the seeds go, the path, rocky ground, among the thorns, good soil. And, predictably, only the seeds that fall on the good ground grow and multiply. And then Jesus says, let anyone with ears listen. This is just silly on the face of it. Unlike my hibiscus plant, the seed that the sower is so careless with will provide part of the yearly food crop for their family and their community. Unless the sower is making an experiment to see if the seed will or will not grow in different kinds of ground, why waste it so? Seed is expensive, especially in Jesus' time, when a lot of it had to be saved from one year to the next. By this time, everyone in the listening crowd would know that the seed being sown in that region would only do well in good ground. The explanation follows, of course, but why go through a story that calls forth a basic response of, duh, and tell people to listen to it, and then immediately give an explanation that really has nothing to do with plants at all? Well, part of the interest in preaching from the lectionary is to see what the lectionary compilers leave out of the readings. And here the compilers have left out something important in verses 10 through 17. The verses between the story and its explanation. These left out verses tell us that Jesus is speaking to the crowd in the original story. In the following explanation, he is speaking to his disciples, the ones who say they are serious about following him. Jesus tells the disciples that he speaks in parables to the crowd because they are just that, a crowd that follows him for who knows what reason. It's a nice day to be at the beach. There might be a miracle. It's a break from routine. What else? They fulfill Isaiah's prophecy. You will indeed listen, but never understand. And you will indeed look but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes, so that they might not look with their eyes, and listen with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But the disciples are blessed because their eyes see and their ears hear in their commitment to discipleship. And so Jesus gives the explanation of the story to them. The seed is the good news of the kingdom of God, and the different kinds of ground are the different kinds of responses of the people who hear the good news. The path response is to not understand or to refuse to consider the good news, and the evil one makes sure that these people will not remember that they have heard anything at all. The rocky ground response is to get all excited, but then not to develop roots through the experiences of discipleship. And so these people fall away when the going gets difficult 
or the consequences of discipleship are uncomfortable. The thorny ground response is to hear the good news, but to let the challenges of the world and the desire for wealth and success choke out the good news so that nothing of it can grow. Only the response of the good soil, to hear the good news, to take the time to understand it, to bear the fruit of the kingdom, only that response is to bring forth the desired harvest as each person and community is able. We noted last Sunday that Matthew is considered, among other things, to be a manual for discipleship. With this story of the sower, I would like to consider three ways we might take this story for ourselves this morning. Perhaps the most obvious way is to take the story as Jesus' exhortation not to respond, as did the people with the unfruitful results. So we will not treat the good news lightly or with disdain until we study it, live with it, and live out of it, and join with others who will learn with us so that we can teach each other our own best ways to grow and thrive. So we will not stay in our discouragement when things get difficult, but we will remember God's help in the past and the great joy that is possible with God so that even the earth shouts and sings together as in our psalm. So that we will remember with the psalmist and with Paul that we are not condemned for our sins and that the Spirit lives within us and empowers us to grow in love. So we will rejoice in our freedom from slavery to sin and death and see the possibilities and the challenges before us and look for the way that God makes for us out of no way. In the good news of the kingdom, we find our own good ground in which to flourish. And through our sharing of the good news, we help other people and all creation to do the same. A second way to take the story is to see it as a statement about how some people may respond to our sharing of the good news. Jesus is very matter-of-fact about it. You can't please all of the people all of the time, and as we share the good news with others, these kinds of responses are all possible. Some of the more unfruitful responses might be because of how we share the good news, and we'll get to that in a minute. But people's responses will be their own. What we are called to do and to be as followers of Jesus is often a challenge or scary or countercultural or counterintuitive for us. So we should not be surprised to find that others may not leap immediately for the chance to join us. The second way to take the story plays into a third. We are invited to see ourselves as the sower. While people's responses are their own, it is our job to sow the seeds of the good news and to cultivate those who decide to be nourished by it. In one sense, our sowing is in fact a great experiment. We cast our seed widely to see what will take. And like the sower in the story, we do not at first in many cases know where the good ground will be in our particular situation unless we cast our seed widely. Sometimes that will mean doing things that we have not done before or being with others we have not previously experienced. And we may be reminded that the seven last words of the church are, We've never done it that way before. Sometimes that will mean prioritizing energy and resources, and we may be reminded that if we are not good stewards, only the squeakiest wheel will get the most grease, and it may not be the one most vital to our mission. But in the end, we are reminded that to find good ground is not enough. Finding our own good ground in terms of what we are called to grow and where we are called to grow it, and then how we are to grow it, means that a sower must also learn to be a cultivator, or at least learn who to join with as cultivators, so that the whole fruit of the kingdom can grow and thrive. This brings us to our present day, and as was noted above, how we sow our seed, and how we find our good ground to sow it in, 
are pressing questions right now. In too many cases, the seed of the good news has been linked to and even corrupted by empire, greed, racism, sexism, bigotry, and anthropocentrism. In too many cases, individuals and whole populations have been harmed with results of trauma to this day that hinder human societal flourishing and human spiritual flourishing. There are two ideas in particular that we might consider as we consider our work of sowing and cultivation. First, if we do not know what the seed needs to grow and flourish, we cannot help it to root, leaf, blossom, and fruit. It is not about what we want to give. Instead, just as I needed to learn, to ask it, if you will, what my tropical hibiscus plant needs to survive and maybe even thrive in New England, we need to learn and discern. We need to ask God what the kingdom needs to thrive in our particular situation. This can get complicated. Just as different kinds of seed need different grounds and different conditions in which to flourish, so the vast diversity of the kingdom's manifestation in the world needs different grounds and conditions. It depends on the context of our calling. What particular manifestation of the kingdom's love and justice does God want to manifest in our context and our calling? We will need to discover the details of the people, ground, and resources or lack of them in our location. We will need to be honest about our own motives, resources, and capacities. And we will need really to pay attention to our prayers and to God's answers if we are not to dilute or corrupt the good news for other than kingdom ends. Second, it is not the seed's fault if they are not able to grow because the conditions they need to grow and thrive are not met. And while it is true that people's responses are their own, it is also true that a little augmentation of their ground might make it easier for them to receive the good news and take it to heart. If, as sowers and cultivators of the kingdom, we insist on, insist on scattering our seed in places that we know it will not grow, and we do nothing to cultivate the ground, it is not the seed's fault if there is no harvest in spite of our sowing efforts. And if the ground does not welcome our seed, it is not the ground's fault. The ground is what it is, and unless we change that, nothing will grow. Just as with my hibiscus plant, this is where the need for augmentation and fertilization of the ground come in. For too long, individuals and populations have been castigated for being unresponsive ground for the good news of the kingdom. We might want to consider that this is not a surprise, considering the corruption of the good news through its linkages with empire, greed, racism, sexism, bigotry, and anthropocentrism, as mentioned above. Individuals and populations' lives have been destructively affected for generations by these evils and by the systematic evils that accompany them. Poverty, violence, lack of education, genocide, voter suppression, lack of health care, and loss of hope. They might be forgiven if they do not respond to the rescue of salvation offered by those who may not be trustworthy and whose message has so often been a cheat. It may be that in order to prepare the ground for the seeds of the kingdom, we may need to augment people's lives with justice and the resources of justice for their bodies and minds before we can plant the seeds of the kingdom with any hope of appeal to their souls. Finding or even creating our own good ground so that the kingdom, kingdom can flourish is a call to be both a sower and a cultivator. In that call, the word ground has a meaning in addition to its being a medium in which something grows. 
Ground is a place to lay down roots. And it is also a place to stand, to take a stand. To find our own good ground as disciples of Jesus is to stand our ground for the sake of the kingdom. So that even in the midst of pandemic and national upheaval, present and coming, the kingdom may grow and flourish and that we and all creation may grow and flourish within it. Amen. Beloved, as we are called to our time of prayer, we invite you to pray in the way that will most help you to support the prayers of this community. Stand or kneel in your place, raise your hands, respond in a language other than English, however you are moved by the Spirit in this time. I will set the intention and then will say, in your grace, 
please respond, hear our prayer. Dearly beloved, let us pray. You who are one, you who are three, one God in holy community, we who are created in your image are glad and grateful for your presence with us as source of all provision and as Christ and as spirit, for your encouragement by your gifts and fruits in our lives, for your empowerment to grow in love and to choose the good. In your grace of invitation and inclusion, we pray. For ourselves, as individuals and for the communities of which we are a part, for our particular ministries in the world, for our ministry in and through Marsh Chapel and the Office of Religious Life, for the work of all the church. In your grace, hear our prayer. With and for our cousins and neighbors in faith traditions not our own, and with and for all people of goodwill, for the works of blessing, courage, and peace in and through us all, for the life of the world. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the nations and peoples of the world, for the leaders amongst them, and for the ways of peace amongst us all. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the health of creation, for our earth and air and water, for our companion animals, birds, insects, and plants. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those who disagree with us and those who wish us harm, and for all those who we ourselves have injured or offended, in your grace, hear our prayer. For those individuals and communities who face particular challenges of mind, body, spirit, relationship, in your grace, hear our prayer. For those who have died, particularly for those we have lost to this pandemic of COVID-19 and those we have lost to systemic violence, who we name in silence before you. For their family and friends, for your will fulfilled in them, and for our sharing with all your saints in the life to come. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the celebrations, milestones, and joys of our human life with thanksgiving. In your grace, hear our prayer. In all these things we pray in trust as you pray with us in your compassion too deep for words. Amen. And continuing in our prayer together, as our Lord Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen.
giver of life. We do not want the cares of the world and the lure of wealth to choke out your word among us. As the sower casts seeds abundantly and hopefully, so we long to participate in the planting of grace and mercy in your world. Receive these gifts as tokens of our lives. Send your cultivating spirit to work among us until we yield and grow in grace. For we pray in the name of Jesus, who came out of love for the world. Amen. And now, dearly beloved, let us go from this place in peace to have faith in the community that is powered by the unity of love and to promote the work of God's love and justice in the world. In the name of God who makes us, who loves us, who keeps us in everything. Amen.